welcome back to this podcast. This is But What's Next with me, Michelle Reed. This is an episode that I am really looking forward to because it's actually with my dad. If you guys watch my videos or even if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know I am very close with my family and that also includes my dad. He's one of the best people in my life and I think that he is very knowledgeable about a lot of different things from finances, family, marriage, all these things and we talked a lot about different topics about these things in the podcast and so I really hope you guys enjoy it. It's actually a little bit of a longer one so I'm going to cut this intro short but let me know if you guys enjoy this one. I am trying to kind of switch the themes of this podcast and make it a little bit more conversational, a little less formal because I think as you grow in anything, you kind of learn what you like, what you don't like, and I'm even learning what you guys like, what you don't like, and the ones that are a little bit more personal, a little bit more with my family and myself actually get pretty good traction. I feel like you guys kind of resonate with them, so I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm trying to kind of switch and ebb and flow from what you guys like, and while I do like having very formal guests on too, I think it's nice to do a few of these episodes too, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you do. And let's get into it. Testing. Testing one, two, three, four, five. That's a more efficient testing. Okay. All right. That's yeah, you good. don't do tests. You end up talking like you normally talk, and people get your levels that way. Oh. Didn't you know that? Guys, today I am here with my dad, who you guys can obviously tell used to be in broadcasting. He used to be on the radio. Years he ago. Knows, years ago, because he knows how to do this better than I do. But I'm excited for this episode because I did a video with my dad a while ago, kind of on adulting and finance stuff, and a lot of you guys really liked it. The comments were really positive on that video because my dad rocks, and I thought that he'd be a good guest for this because on this podcast, I talk a lot about adulting, and if you guys listened to my first episode, you know that I talked a lot about the importance of mentors and kind of looking to older and wiser people for wisdom in your life. And I like to think that my dad is one of those people. So I think that he can give some pretty good advice. And I wanted this episode to be questions that you guys asked and questions that you guys wanted to hear. And so I actually asked on my Instagram for things that you guys would like us to talk about. So all these questions came from Instagram and I think we got some good ones. So, But the first one, the first theme that I wanted to talk about was family because if you guys watch my videos on YouTube or even if you just listen to my podcast, I talk a lot about the importance to family. And so one of the questions that I got, and I think that this is probably because people see my family a lot in my videos, are just tips for raising such a close-knit family. And I like to think that my parents are a big part of the reason why our family's so close. So what would you say, Dad? I think part of it is when you have five kids mm-hmm. is that you're so busy keeping up with, with the kids in your own family. They kind of learn how to end up being everybody's best buddy. Yeah. And you guys really did. You know, the older kids are looking out after the younger kids. You know, when particularly when you were young, you're the baby mm-hmm. of the family. And I can remember many times... You know, Derek or Jordan, you know, kind of looking out after you. They also harassed you a lot along the way, too. Yeah, probably a little more of that than looking after us, which is good. But but then that kind of stayed with you guys, I think, through your elementary years and then your high school years. And still today, when you guys are together, you know, mm-hmm. you're really close. Of course, Derek's still up in the Northeast and everybody else is here. But uh, this today still becomes kind of a hangout place 
where everybody just, you know, is coming over here and it's, it's around the kitchen table or mm -hmm. making homemade pizzas around the island and sitting around for hours out there talking. So mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. And, you know, I know mom had this saying, you know, if she wasn't going to entertain you guys. She couldn't. She had five kids. But she had that saying was, you have to make your own fun. And you mm -hmm. guys did, either on your own or you would end up hanging out together and coming up with things. So, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think looking back, that probably also contributed um, to what I think is, is each one of you have some pretty unique creativity skills that, that each one of you have. And I think it's because of that principle that mom put in place years ago about you need to create your own fun. I definitely agree with that. I think that as kids, we were really left to ourselves to kind of figure out our passions too. And I get a lot of questions a lot about how I started YouTube. And one of the things that people always ask is, you know, were your parents, you know, scared that you were making YouTube videos? Or were they scared that you were doing this uncharted thing? And I don't even think I told you guys when I started my channel. I was just making American Girl Doll videos in my room or Jamie and I would make, you know, silly music videos. And I think that you guys did a really good job of just kind of letting us find our passions. And obviously as a parent, you have to watch what your kids are doing and protect them. And there are a lot of scary sides of being online. So I definitely understand like why people would be worried about that. But I think a lot of the reason why we all really like what we're doing is because we had the freedom to discover it as kids. And so I definitely think that being left to ourselves was a good thing. Now, uh, for years, one of the things that I've noticed in parenting that I think is a major problem is parents trying to live their unfulfilled dreams through their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, and you've actually mentioned it from time to time, but in high school and then in college, you know, my passion was playing golf. And fortunately, mm -hmm. I was able to, in college, actually play golf in college. But today, there's not one of you that ends up playing golf. Hey, I'm getting there. And I, and I, and I tried, you know, with Michelle. I told her about yeah. the cute outfits that the LPGA, you know, female players, they're wearing out mm -hmm. there on their tours and stuff. But that didn't even work to get you interested in, in golf at the time. But But the thing was, I didn't care about you guys trying to end up being superstar golfers. Yeah. I mean, if golf wasn't your thing, find what was your thing. And, and you guys were so diverse. I mean, you had Derek that started out baseball, but then he got into music. And then Jordan played sports. And Lindsay was in sports and then choir. And then she also had this artistic side to it. Mm -hmm. Jamie was playing basketball, but then she switched over to the Business Professional Association. Then you, of course, had your you know, with the dance and then with the YouTube. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to look back and see the diversity that you guys were involved with. And all we cared about was whatever you do, go at it 100% and give it your best with excellence because you're, you're learning life skills as you go through that. And the other thing is, is don't be afraid to let kids fail because you're going to end up failing along the way. Would you rather end up failing when there's a safety net of the home underneath of you? Or would you rather get out later on down the road, then fail and have no support system around you? That was just kind of the philosophy that we looked at yeah. and, and incorporated with our family. And my dad mentioned golf. And I would like to say that he is actually a very great golfer. He plays himself down. But when we were back in Dallas originally, I guess this was a few weeks ago, Aiden and I decided that we were going to go golfing with my dad. And it's always embarrassing going with dad because he's so good. So, And he's always willing to play with random people too. Probably because he's so good. Because he knows he's not going to embarrass himself. But um, I also got a question about why did you guys want a larger family? 
slash did you even want a larger family? Actually, we did not set out to have a larger family. We waited six years to have kids, and then Mm -hmm. um, Derek came along the sixth year, and then after that, it was almost like we had five kids in the next eight years. Mm -hmm. And people say, couldn't you figure out what was causing that? So, (laughs) you know, we kind of like, it just kept on happening. So (laughs) Michelle's mom Mm -hmm. was from, she has a brother and a sister, and then I had a, a brother, so it was only two of us in our, in our family. So neither one of us came from a big family. But looking back, I wouldn't trade it for all for anything. I mean, you're tired a lot when you have that many kids, but it was a lot of fun. And even today, I think all of us would rather spend time with each other than probably with anybody else. I know. I think that's pretty apparent in my videos, too, because I've had people ask, like, oh, you don't seem like you hang out with a lot of friends. And I'm, I have, like, a few close friends, but... For the most part, I was just so close with my siblings growing up that, you know, that's who I wanted to hang out with growing up. It wasn't going to hang out with a huge group of friends. It was like, I just want to be back with my family. And I think it's interesting that you and mom both didn't come from large families. Because usually, at least for me, I look back and I say, oh, I was really thankful that I grew up with a large family. So I want to have a large family. But it's interesting. It just worked out that way. And I'm very happy it did because I love our big family. Because I'm moving back to Texas, what are your thoughts? I would have been happy with with you staying in New York, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in light of the things that are happening there, and just the uh, the cost of being in New York City, oh, if yeah. you can't if you can't end up enjoying New York City for what most people enjoy it for, then why would you want to end up paying that amount of money to stay in New York City? So you know, wherever you guys would have ended up would have been okay with us. But we're excited that you're going to be here close by. And and a lot of people think, well, you're going to be 10 minutes away. You're going to be in Dallas. We're in, it's probably 45 minutes to an hour to to Michelle's apartment from where we live Mm -hmm. here. So, but we'll still see each other, you know, from time to time. I'll still be here every week. Yeah, she probably will, knowing her. (laughs) uh, But uh, we're excited about it. And I think it'll be a fun adventure for you and Aiden to be in Dallas. It's different than New York City and it's even different than where you you grew Mm -hmm. up. And I posted a video on looking for apartments and a lot of people were talking about how a lot of people want to move to Texas right now and I feel like Texas is really a boom in place and it's a really great place to be and I think growing up I used to always think that oh I need to try something new because you know I've lived here my whole life and I'm really thankful that I did but it really is a great place and I feel like all the people who've moved back here understand but yeah, there's I would a like lot to... of there's a lot of people moving to Texas. There was a lot mm-hmm. of people moving to Texas even before COVID nineteen. Yeah, uh, we had a lot of people moving from California, uh, and now they're moving even more from California, but also some of the other states. I think you're getting mm-hmm. people others from New York that are coming here. It's probably lower taxation. You do not have a state mm-hmm. income tax. Uh, here property in Texas. taxes though. Are... Property taxes are a little higher, mm-hmm. but actually gives people more mm-hmm. opportunities. I definitely agree. I even had a comment one time from a girl. I think she lived in somewhere in Europe, but I was talking about buying things for my subscribers, small businesses, because I was going to do a video when everyone's businesses were really struggling. I mean, they're still struggling, but I wanted to share them on my YouTube channel, but a girl commented and she was like, I can't believe how easy it is to start a business like over in America versus here. There are just so many guidelines that you have to follow in loopholes. And it just made me really grateful that, you know, we have the ability to start a business and run it and not have to go through all these crazy things. And so I wanted to go into some relationship cues. This is probably the one that I got the most questions on. 
But I thought this one was sweet. Someone asked about how my dad and my mom met. Both of us went to the same college. Uh, as I said, I played on the golf team. My teammate uh, had actually grown up in the same church that Kelly grew up in. So it was probably, it may have been the first day on campus or it was within that first week on campus. We were walking across campus and then Kelly and her roommates were coming the other way. So we stopped, started talking. Bill introduced everybody to us. And Bill was your roommate? Bill was my teammate on the golf team. Okay. Eventually, my, my junior and senior year, he was my roommate. We ended up rooming those last couple of years together. But uh, he introduced us to, you know, to Kelly, and then she introduced her roommates to us. You know, it was just something about her. One is she was definitely good-looking. Oh, yeah, she's easy on the eyes. But then the other thing was she just had this funny giddiness about her. And it was just something about her. It was like, man, she's just fun to be around. So they, you know, went their way. We went our way. But I actually said to Bill that day, I said, someday I'm going to marry that girl. And so, you know, maybe it was the love at first sight thing, but we didn't start dating then until February of our freshman year because, Mm -hmm. but we all ended up hanging out together. We were like a group of friends. And part of the reason why I waited so long to ask her out is you hear those stories about, okay, if you're friends, you start dating, it doesn't work out. Then there goes the friendship. And I was kind of concerned about that. So, but once we started dating uh, our freshman year, I didn't date anybody else. I don't think she dated anybody else. I have to ask her sometime. So, but then uh, we dated all four years. We we got engaged February of our junior year. Okay. I, I would not recommend year and a half engagements. So just yeah. that's my one advice through that. I always but, forget you guys are engaged so long. Yeah, and and so because I was still playing golf and mm. you know try to get married, finish out a year, do the. That was a lot. And we said, no, we're not going to end up doing that. So, um, but it was good. And now we've been married. Actually, next week will be 36 years that we've been married. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. I love that story. So I was really happy when someone asked that because I think it's a really sweet story. Someone asked me about my dad's first impression of Aiden. And you, I think the first time you met Aiden, it was when he came to visit the first summer we were dating, he came to Texas. I think the things that stood out about Aiden to me was, um, one, he was very confident, but yet very, very respectful and uh, very, very polite. The other thing that was very apparent very quickly was how he treated you. He treated you with you know, great respect. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are th- some things that I, I don't think that that they're taught too much anymore. Yeah. But the other thing about Aiden was when he talked to you, he was a really good listener and he maintained great eye contact. Someone who can, who is always shifting their eyes around. They're hiding something. You want, yeah, there's something like that, but Aiden didn't. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, I mean, you know, he was just he, here. We were out there together a little bit ago before we started recording this, mm-hmm. you know, he stays up on everything. But yet, first and foremost, you know, the thing that I notice about him is he loves the Lord. And mm-hmm. I know that's going to be the, the centerpiece of you guys' marriage. Yeah, it's definitely the most important. Because you've seen a lot of guys come through this house. Not necessarily for me, but <laughs> mostly for Three Lindsay. girls, yeah, we know we have a lot of guys show up. <laughs> they listen to Lindsay's episode. They'll know I outed her for having a lot of boyfriends. So dad has seen a lot of guys come through here. But going off that, how do you feel about me getting married here soon? Because now it's coming up pretty soon. And I, this is actually the one I think I got the most. What's your thoughts? 
I guess you kind of just explained why you feel okay with me getting married to Aiden. Yeah, you know, I think you guys, you know, obviously, I don't know if they know, but I'm actually officiating the the wedding as well. Oh, they don't know. Yeah, so, you know, I served about seven years as an executive pastor. And it was interesting, my role on staff at the church was more the business pastor mm-hmm. and then communications and, and managing the staff. And I didn't do any weddings. I didn't do any funerals. I didn't I didn't end up speaking that much at church. I had a lot of small group ministries and things like that. And now this will end up being the fourth wedding that I've done, you know, because wow. I've done all of, you know, all of you guys so far. Jamie's still in the bullpen waiting to find the right one for her. And then, unfortunately, I've actually done a couple of memorial services, mm-hmm. too, from one guy who I discipled a lot. And uh, and then my mom back mm-hmm. in 2011, my, my brother, your uncle, Mark, is also a pastor in North Carolina. So together we ended up doing you know, Mama's funeral. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, you know, I've watched, you know, you and Aiden and I think you guys are ready. You're never totally ready for marriage. Mm-hmm. And even as well as you know each other now, there's going to end up being surprises along the way. That's why you wanted to make sure that you're really committed to each other and that you're starting out from the same foundation. I think, you know, the thing I think about, you know, what are the real keys to a marriage? You know, they talk, they talk about opposites attract and that is true. You want some differences because you balance each other each other out. But at the same time, you have to have some the core things that are the same that you're seeing eye to eye on, like finances, like family. Mm-hmm. You know, how many kids do you want? If you have one person that says, "I don't want any kids," yeah, and then the other person says, "Well, I want two or three kids," you need to talk that through before you end up getting married because that could end up being a real cause of contention in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, you and I and Aiden have, have spent time together talking through this some before and even preparing for the, the service. And, you know, there's quite a few core patches, passages in the Bible that talk about marriage and deal with that. And I know you guys have been reading and discussing those together. So, uh, yeah, I think you're as ready to be married as, as you can be. Yeah. And that's something that mom said because Jamie was talking to me and she's like, are you nervous that, like, you just don't know if you're necessarily ready and you just kind of have to jump into it. And I was talking to mom about it and she was like, when dad and I got married, we had no idea what we were doing. Like there's so much stuff that you just had to figure out that you can't necessarily plan or do like counseling for. And you can do those things to a certain extent. But I think part of it is almost kind of like faith where you kind of have to jump into it a little bit without necessarily knowing all the facts or anything. And so this question was actually from someone who directly asked it. She actually DM'd it to me. And her question was, I grew up without a father in my house. What are traits I should look for in a boyfriend slash future spouse in order to ensure that my children have a strong father? And I think this is something that is pretty common and actually a question that I get a lot and just had friends who didn't really have a father in their house. And I thought it was a good question. Do you have any thoughts? Well, this this one could take a while to end up explaining. Mm-hmm. And, and just these will be random, not necessarily in any specific order. But first of all, if you're looking for someone that will end up being a father for your kids, mm-hmm. first make sure they're going to end up being a great husband and a godly man. Because what I've seen over and over again for fathers is how do they treat the mother? If they don't treat the mother with respect, they're not going to treat the kids with respect. That's where it mm-hmm. starts with. And I think you can start you can start picking up on some of those things as you're dating someone, you spend time around them. So for instance, when you're with them and their family, how does this guy treat his mom? Mm-hmm. 
How does this guy treat his sibling? When you're out in public and you're around people, how does he treat the servers at a restaurant? How does he treat people on the street? Because that's going to start telling you what their core DNA is. And that core DNA, well, they say uh, a zebra does not change the color of their stripes. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that God can redeem someone and that there is forgiveness and you can end up changing. There's a lot of who you are that the way that you're made up and the way that you've got a lot in there that is going to take a long time to change. Mm -hmm. And I would be looking for somebody that has these uh, core godly traits to start out with. The other thing is, is that I start thinking about is how do they look at work? Do they do their job well? Do they do it with excellence? Um, you know, but at the same time, are they a workaholic? So there's got to be balance between uh, both of those. When you're dating someone, how do they treat you? Do they, mm -hmm. do they put you first? There's been times where along the way, Kelly and I, you know, didn't agree on stuff. We mm -hmm. sit down, we talk it through. Sometimes I go, well, she's right. I'm glad she spoke up. Matter of fact, the two biggest financial mistakes we made through our marriage is because I didn't end up consulting her and I ended up making a unilateral decision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's the thing? Shame, you know, burn me once, shame on um, me, burn me twice, shame on you, or vice versa. Yeah. Somewhere. I butchered <laughs> it anyway. But you would have think, thought that I would have learned my lesson the first time. But mm -hmm. so, but both of the biggest mistakes we made financially along the way is because I didn't end up talking to her about it. Mm -hmm. And did she end up ever saying, I told you so? No, she didn't. Nope. You know, because... What that was is she's showing mercy and grace through that. And I think something with my dad that really stuck out for, at least for me and what I looked for in someone who I was dating, was the aspect of forgiveness. I think that it's really common, especially in our generation, to have you know, pride in your decisions and pride in even your mistakes that you make and not to admit them or brush over them or do something like, I'm sorry I made you feel that way instead of just being genuinely sorry and seeking forgiveness. Something that my dad always did. And I remember the first time when I think I was like eight years old, I heard my dad swear <laughs> in the living room and I ran in my room and I was so sad thinking that, oh my goodness, my dad said a swear word. But then dad came in the room and he apologized. And that was just a small moment, but there were also other instances as I got older where you would apologize for things. And I think especially as a parent, you have to put up this front like you are always right and you never make mistakes. And it was just really humbling to see, you know, if my dad is willing to come seek forgiveness from me, I would want to make sure that whoever I'm going to marry is also always willing to do that. And that's something that I really noticed with Aiden whenever we would have disagreements or he would make a mistake, he always would seek forgiveness from me. Even if it took a little bit of time and wasn't necessarily right in the moment, but I think it's really important to have someone who just expresses humility. Sad that people grow up without fathers to show them those traits and everyone is imperfect too. So it's not to say that if you have a dad, you have this perfect role model to look up to, but it does make me sad that some people don't have that. But I think that there are a lot of other people you can look to to see traits that you should look for in a spouse. But I hope that helps because I thought that was pretty good. And I guess you kind of touched on this, but was there a biggest piece of marriage advice or advice for newlyweds that you have, especially since you have been married to mom so long? What has made the marriage last? Well, I don't know if there's one thing that made the, the marriage last. I would, I would say, and I've touched on this earlier, on the big important things, make sure you're on the same page with. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your view of God? How, how is your 
your faith going to end up impacting your marriage? Then you just touched on a big one right now. If you're not willing to end up asking forgiveness along the way, that's going to be a real problem. You know, the Bible talks about keeping short offense lists. Mm -hmm. And the quicker you can end up saying, I screwed up, and trust me, you will. Probably, you know, <laughs> probably you and Aiden get married within the first seven days. Probably both of you are going to screw up, you know, along <laughs> the, the way there. Yeah, that, well, that's not <laughs> uncommon. You know, that, that does happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being able to admit when you're wrong and confessing it. And then if you're the person that is on the receiving side of that, you need to end up offering that forgiveness. And don't end up starting to keep this list of wrongs mm. that the other person's done. So that's it. And then, uh, you know, don't take your marriage for granted. You know, appreciate your spouse. They are a gift that God has given you. The, the other person, you know, the Bible also talks about a one flesh union. And that means you're not looked at as separate individuals. Now you're looked at as one couple together, mm. you know. So uh, actually pretty common what I'll end up saying to the people at a wedding is before you saw Michelle and you saw Aiden, now they are one. So when you're going to end up giving advice to one of them, make sure that advice is going to benefit both of them, not just the one. Because now the two have become one mm -hmm. in this in this uh, this union. I think that that's some things that I would end up saying. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that you've kind of got a vision for your marriage together, you know, where you're going and make sure you're communicating along the way, talking and be transparent and open with each other. Mm -hmm. I think another big thing that at least I witnessed through you and mom was you both still had your individual hobbies too. I think that was a really important one because we talked about this before, but dad really likes to golf as in golfs multiple times a week. Not a Probably week. Probably two once, times a week. Oh, uh, once a week. Well, lately, just on week. lately it's been I was more. on vacation <laughs> last week. <laughs> well, even once a week, I feel like is a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then mom does her own things too. And I think that that helps having your own separate hobbies. So you're not constantly with each other at the same time. And then you come home from golfing and you're just so happy to see mom because you've done something that kind of fuels your own. Well, I don't know she's encouraged and she's encouraged me to end up doing that along the way. When I turned 50, she had, she had remembered what it was like when I was playing competitively in college. Mm -hmm. And so when you turn 50, there's a whole new category that they call senior golf. And so you guys, you were, you and Jamie were in college at the time. Mm -hmm. And I know I was sad. I couldn't be there at the and, the, and she said, you ought to start going back playing in these tournaments. So I haven't played in many, but I, you know, typically will play in one or two a summer. And it's, it's fun to get back in there and actually compete and kind mm. of have some of those juices. And for, for golf for me is that thing that kind of is a relaxation, but yet it's a mental stimulator as well because golf is an individual sport. So you can't blame it on a teammate. Mm. And every golf course is different. And so there's variety that you have to go through. So it's kind of like you've got this little bit of a science to it, but yet there's the athletic part of it as well. Mm. So uh, is a bogey when you get it in two shots? No, a bogey is when it's one over par. So oh. if the par is a three, a bogey is a four. If oh. the par is a five, a bogey is a six. Because when we were golfing with him, he literally shot the first. I don't know what this is called when you shoot the first shot and you almost get it in the hole. It was close to a hole in one, and then I missed the eagle putt. Yeah, but 
It was really cool. I took a picture because I was really proud. But you touched on your finances earlier. I didn't know your two biggest finance mistakes, but someone asked, what would you have done differently financially during your younger years if you could go back? Actually, I actually asked mom about this when when you showed me this question. I went, what would we have done differently? So the mistakes was, is that normally now today, and, and since we've had you guys, you know, probably the last 20 years, we've always bought used cars. So Typically, the, the financial mistakes along the way was we made the mistake of buying a new car. Mm-hmm. And another mistake was we leased a car. And oh, we, I didn't know you leased a car. <clears throat> we leased one car. The problem with a lease is leases are fine if you can predict your annual mileage. If you can't predict and then you go over the mileage, you got a big penalty at the end when you turn mm-hmm. that in. Or you've got to buy out that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the other thing is, is that... Uh, they'll end up penalizing you when you turn a car back in for wear and tear on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now, vision this. A Suburban or a minivan with five rugrats. You know, how are you not going to have stains in a vehicle and everything with that type of family? Yeah. So those were some of the mistakes you know, along the way. But going back, looking at our early years, I don't know that there was a whole lot we would have done differently. I think I did a really good job. Well, the first thing I would say is you have to end up setting a budget and you have to live within a budget. Mm -hmm. And you cannot compare yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. You're not working their job. You're not doing their income. You've got your income. um, And so you need to end up sticking to that. If you're married and you can do it, I would encourage you to live off of one income and put the other one in the bank. You know, what we did, we did, we weren't able to totally did that, but we did a lot of that. And that was what allowed us to end up saving up for a down payment on a house. I'm talking back, I'm, I'm thinking back when we were in our 20s. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm envisioning kind of the ages that are probably listening to this podcast today when you're newly married or yeah. you're in those early married years. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, be careful not uh, overextending yourself uh, with your apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would end up saying, you need to end up having some fun, but the mm-hmm. fun areas can get out of control, and that's where you're going to end up spending a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, on stuff. And you need to be thinking about the long range, not the short range. So if you're going to try to end up getting into a house pretty soon, you need to start saving for that down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can end up with cars, typically, we have done best when we end up buying two to three four-year-old cars that have somewhere between twenty and 35,000 miles. Because you're not paying for all that depreciation. As soon as you drive the car off the lot, that, that car is depreciating probably 15, 20%. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the, the new car thing, we, we learned, you know, to, to end up finding low mileage mm-hmm. used cars. And then when you guys were in college, you know this, typically we would end up, I would buy a car that I would drive for about three years. And then I would end up handing off to you guys as the kid car. Mm-hmm. And that worked out really well for us. Yeah, it did. And now I'm really excited to like buy my own car because I felt like it was something that I earned. I wasn't just given a car. And even though Jamie and I shared the Camry, but yeah, I think that's really good advice. I mean, it works on the used cars if you get a good used car. Right. <laughs> we definitely had some some mistakes on the cars, but I'm trying to think. It was the Honda. The Honda, and the that was the that was really. You know, yes and no. We bought mm-hmm. that one so cheap. In the end, it all ended up working out to what we would have paid to start out with if we had paid more for another car. Mm-hmm. So, 
Someone also asked for tips for paying off debt from college. And I don't know how much experience you guys had with paying we, off debt. Fortunately, we did not have any college debt coming out of college. But dad knows a lot of Dave Ramsey, so. Yeah. And frankly, we were very, very blessed that our parents ended up paying for our college education. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we worked in the summer for our spending money and our books and things. And I know not everybody has the ability to do that. So mm -hmm. uh, if you're if you're coming out of college and you have college debt, then I would say try to accelerate those payments as quickly as you can. You Again, you have to end up setting a budget. What's your rent? What's your utilities? All those things. Get that debt knocked out as soon as you can. If you can, work a second job on the weekends. Apply all the money that you're making from that second job. You know, Dave Ramsey, if you listen to him, I think his famous thing is deliver pizzas. You know, it's his big thing. But that's what I would end up uh, saying is, if you could take that extra money that you're working, apply, you can end up getting that debt paid back off quicker. You might want to look at what your interest rate is on your student loan. If you can refinance it and get it down to a lower interest rate, then more of your payments are going to go to the principal to pay back, pay down the loan. Mm. When you refinance, is that maybe you shorten the length of how much you pay back, then you pay less interest? I never, well, if honestly, you're, if never really knew what it meant to refinance. Well, if you're refinancing, let's say that you have an interest rate of 6% and you can mm -hmm. get the interest rate down to 4 or, or 3 and a half or whatever mm -hmm. it is. You know, and I'm just throwing out numbers. I'm not saying yeah. that that's what they are. But now what's happening is your payments are going to go down. So let's say that you were paying, let's say you were paying $500 a month. Okay, your payment now just dropped back down to three fifty because you got a lower interest rate. Keep paying five hundred because mm -hmm. now it's going through that principal and you'll pay the loan off faster. Oh, yeah. And I think the thing with Dave Ramsey that's kind of counterintuitive. He actually recommends paying off the smallest one first, right. even if it has less interest, because you kind of get motivation when you start paying them versus it's waiting to pay bill. the biggest. It's one less bill that you yeah. have, and so if you're starting out and you got ten things there. Mm. And now you got it down to seven. There's a psychological thing that's like, okay, I'm making progress now. But if you're just doing the minimum payments on all of them, you're never seeing progress. So mm -hmm. physically, I mean, you're actually starting to see the progress to get it knocked out. Yeah, I think that's a good principle. I know my sister Lindsay and um, her husband Ben are doing Dave Ramsey right now. Kind of wanted to go into more career questions. This was my last theme. And we talked about, I think, more career stuff in the video that we did. Someone asked, what was your first job? And one question that I asked all my guests is, was it what you expected before you went in? My first job out of college. Yeah, out of college. Okay. So the first job out of college, I was selling advertising at a very small radio station in the rural part of the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And that station actually started while I was in college. And so during the two summers while I was still in college, when I came home in the summertime and then when I was home at Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, I was actually on the air. And I would fill in for the regular announcers so that they would end up having their vacation break. So I was getting experience. Between my junior and senior year of college, I asked them, could I end up trying sales? So there were like 10 accounts. And it was a small community. Our mm -hmm. town only had like 30,000 people. <clears throat> but there were about 10 accounts that they could not get on the air. And so, because I grew up playing golf in the community at the golf course where a lot of these business owners actually played golf, I knew some of the business owners in the community. So by the end of the summer, I'd sold eight out of the ten that they couldn't get on the air. I then didn't know before that. before I went back to college my senior year, the owner of the radio station 
took me out to, to lunch, actually offered me a job before I ended up going back to college. So when I graduated, I already had the job offer for when I would come back. Mm -hmm. So cocky me thought, well, if I've done so well here in this small market, I wonder what it, you know my other opportunities were. Mm -hmm. So I did investigate some other opportunities, but in the end, we went back to uh, to my hometown, and I went into sales, and I was the number one salesperson for you know the first you know year, and then they mm -hmm. bought another radio station in Richmond, Virginia. So at 23 years of age, they moved me to Richmond, Virginia, and I was managing my first radio station when I was 23 years oh of age. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that, yep. that you were 23. I always thought yep. you were older. And I and I did more things wrong than I got right at 23. Yeah. But, you know, I wouldn't have traded the experience for anything. And so was it what I expected? A lot of it was the first year. I had no idea what to expect when I started managing a radio station mm -hmm. that young. You've never gotten stagnant in what you're doing. You've always thought of new ideas and new ways to. Well, there's a saying: the only thing constant is change. Yeah. And you have a choice to make. Do you stay up with the times, and are you inquisitive, and are you adapting to the way that things are happening? If you just want to sit around and go, well, and talk about the way things used to be, you're going to be a dinosaur, or you going to be like the telegraph machine pretty soon, mm -hmm. you know, with those things too. So, you know, people are engaging and, and uh, with content, just like if we're sitting here right now recording a podcast. Mm -hmm. Podcasts are growing. People, uh, you know, there's more content creators like you and many others, you know, that, that are out there that now have new voices and new avenues. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, we want to be part of that, and, and I'm learning. You know, Honestly, the, the Influencer Network came about because of watching you for these last 10 years, and then you know, started seeing this, and you actually said, I think you guys ought to end up doing this because you saw the need, and the more that I ended up researching it, it made sense, and we're excited about it. And I think that's also because you genuinely enjoy your work. Like there's a sense of curiosity about it because you're not just doing work that you leave at five o'clock and you don't even look at ever again because you just don't like it. You always seem to really enjoy what you do. And I'm sure there are parts you don't enjoy, but for the most part. And I also got a question, and this is actually kind of a question more for me. I know that you and mom moved a bit while you guys were in your early on in your marriage. How did you guys adjust moving often, going from job to job? I don't actually know how many moves you did. We went from, okay, so I told the story of going from Stanton, Virginia to Richmond, Virginia the first after the first year. So a few years later, we went from Richmond to Columbus, Ohio. We were in Columbus from 91 to 96, and then they asked me to take over our national sales office in Chicago. So we moved there, spent 96 to 99 in Chicago and then at that point they asked me to take over the whole national division and that's when we moved here in 1999 and we've been here ever since uh, since then so what you want to make sure that you do is you pray through those things if you're diligent and you're faithful opportunities are going to come along then the real challenge is determining which ones are the right moves and which ones aren't and it can't be all about money you need to end up looking okay how is this going to affect my relationship with God? How is this going to end up impacting uh, our family, my marriage, uh, our kids? For us, a big part of our community is getting plugged into a good church. 
And so that was our community in places we went. We still had some great, I mean, we look back, we have still to this day relationships from Richmond, Virginia, and Chicago, mm-hmm. and here, and I mean, that's where our sense of community was. So you need to pray through that. Both of you need to talk about it. Uh, by that time that we started doing all these moves, um, you guys were coming along and, and mom was staying at home. So we didn't have to juggle mom's outside the home career mm-hmm. and mom. Some people listening to this, they'll have to make those determinations. Yeah. Um, today, telecommuting, hopefully we're going to end up being able to go back in offices <laughs> at some point. You know, we're all scratching our heads when that's going to be with this COVID. Is all your team back for the most part? Do what? Is all your team back? No, most of our team is still oh. uh, working from their homes. But <laughs> our team, our national salespeople, most of them work out of their homes anyway. So that mm. wasn't a change for them. The last question that I wanted you to answer, and this was one that I forgot who asked this, but I think it is very applicable. If you guys don't know, I used to work at a marketing agency after college, and I kind of threw myself into it because I thought, you know, I need to get a, quote, real job after school, and this will be good for me. And I stayed there for six months, and then I left. And it was actually a really good time in my life and I met a lot of really awesome people and learned more about myself so I definitely don't regret it but as a parent what are your thoughts on me doing social media full-time after quitting my job because I always get questions about you know how do your parents think about this given how it's not super stable and just things like that so I'd be interested to hear and I don't think it's going to be the perspective you guys think because I know a lot of people would be growing up with parents who do not have the same perspective well you know my answer to this I do. That's why I'm asking. I want actually, you to tell them. <laughs> actually, when Michelle came out of college, I discouraged her from working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, is I've watched her for these last 10 years. And I've also watched her in class, you know, settings at, in college. And one thing that, she, you know, one of the things in college that I would hear her talking about is she hated group projects. And because she felt like a lot of times she was the one doing most of the work and the other team members weren't. And I went, welcome to the work world. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was, you know, she and I every year would end up, you know, talking about how her paid sponsorships were growing. And we, and we you know, I was encouraging you to end up tracking your growth. And mm-hmm. she had seen pretty impressive growth year after year after year. And yet the thing was, she really wasn't doing it full time. She was actually going to school full time mm-hmm. and then doing this. And, you know, burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. Michelle, actually, though, and this is the thing as a parent, you can't make somebody do something. But what you can do is you can advise and then they need to end up making the decision. So, and I'm not saying that it was wrong for you to end up doing the six months at Village. Yeah. I mean, you learned a lot there. But still, I think that some people are wired to be entrepreneurs. I think that you have a knack for knowing what content is actually resonating with your followers, and you can't teach that. That's an innate ability. It's kind of like us having on-air personalities that the creative people that I've worked with through my career in the broadcasting industry. Yes, you can coach some of that, but there has to be this moldable clay in there. You know, you could you could take me and try to put me on the air. I'd be a disaster. And at the same time... You sound pretty great right now, though. <laughs> well, at the same time, then we have people on the air that if they tried to do my job in sales and the operation side, 
they'd be a disaster. So you have to understand who you are and how God wired you. And so I encouraged you all along. I thought you should go at this. And, and let me tell you the other part of it. I was confident in you doing that. You know, the thing that Michelle has done is through those 10 years leading up to this, she was a tightwad. And she saved her money. And yeah. so she put the money in the bank. And so even if she failed for her, you know, first year mm-hmm. in New York City, she wouldn't have starved to death. Yeah. And that's the advantage of delayed gratification and saving for the long run because that was her goal. She wanted to end up being in New York City. She wanted to end up being there on her own. Mm-hmm. So she realized you know, things don't always go as planned. I've got to have a safety net. So she had a lot of wisdom for somebody who was 18, 19 years old. That was the other thing that gave me the confidence to go, if you're going to try something and go out on your own, do it now before you have kids and you have a whole lot of other responsibilities. Most people don't have that luxury. But again, people say, well, Michelle's lucky. Maybe, but at the same time, Michelle worked worked her tail off for the last decade with this. And so that's the thing that a lot of people do not want to end up doing in life. And unfortunately, we have this delayed gratification thing that we've lost the the, the beauty of that discipline. And so, no, I, I, you know, I don't know where the thing is, but just like starting this podcast. I, I can remember when you started thinking about a podcast, you, you spent time thinking, what's my mission with the podcast? How is it going to end up fitting with YouTube and Instagram and your other platforms? And, uh, you know, just listening to kind of the themes that you've kind of you've done with these early podcasts. I I can see why people are are listening to it, because it's advice that you're just not hearing out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me let me end with this, because it just kind of hit me, you know. Hit me with it too. Mm. You know, our our pastor has just started a series in Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is probably the most practical bo- book in the Bible. And I've I said for years, if I was an HR manager, the first book I would read to understand human relations is the book of Proverbs, mm. because it talks so much about communication, and there's so much just practical wisdom in there. And the writer of most of Proverbs was King Solomon, who at the time was known as the wisest person in the world. He had other kings and queens and people that would end up tra- uh, traveling for days just to sit and listen to him because of the of just the profound wisdom that he ended up sharing. And so typically every year, I'll read through Proverbs a couple times a year. And I've been doing it for years. But I think that's been one of the things that has helped me along the way in my career but also as a husband and a father and just hopefully someone who's a who's a Christ follower. Yeah, and I think with the job for me, one thing I would just encourage everyone out there, I get a lot of questions, one, about, you know, starting a YouTube channel, starting to do social media, and I feel like I haven't really talked about advice for people wanting to do that, but I think that there's this notion that you can only do this full-time if you have a million subscribers, and I just don't think that that is true at all. There are so many ways you can you know, make money doing this, so many ways that you can create content that people enjoy and not necessarily be this really big YouTuber, and I think that was a big reason why people were confused. Um, You can definitely make it happen, and I think there's this argument that it's too saturated right now and there's so many different people and that's true that there are a lot of people but that also means that you can really find like a niche for what exactly you want to show 
And I think that I have a very core audience because I just talk about things that maybe other people don't talk about or create content that's just different. Um, I really try to create things that I would like to see if I was having a bad day or if I felt discouraged. I'd want someone to watch my videos and just feel a little bit of hope. And that has always been the goal. And so I think you just have to find what that thing is that sets you apart and you can make it happen. And also after college, don't feel, especially now I see so many people graduating or even going into college who are taking a gap year. And I just would encourage you not to do what you think you have to do. Don't take an internship just because you think it's the right thing to do. Don't take especially an unpaid internship because you think it's the right thing to do because you think you have to get this certain job. 